Welcome to Queued Up with Ziz and Pam, where we have powerful conversations talking about what it means to be educated in the 21st century. So today, Pam and I decided to talk about racism, education, and opportunity in the 21st century. Ooh, Pam, I tell you, what a week. <laughs> yes, what a week and what an important topic. I mean, this is something we need to be talking about. It's essential. Um, it's essential for all of us. So I'm super excited um, that we're going to be discussing something that is so relevant and so important today. Yeah, so just everyone, just know um, the one thing and, and typically how I approach things, and, I've, and this is what I've been saying to people. So positivity is one of the strategies that I use. And, and I think a year ago, I said, I'm going to double down on it. So now I'm going to quadruple down on it because I think it's so needed. And it's, and it's interesting because I believe in energy and, and, and how you show up. So even showing up to this, this podcast with you, my energy arrives before I do. So one of the things that we can tell when, when, when I'm walking on the street, I can feel someone's energy. I pick up on it. And, and sometimes um, as a man of color, and, and I hear, I'm, I'm gonna, and, and everyone just know I'm playing around sometimes. Like sometimes I'll call myself, I'm the guy with the permanent tan. I don't have to go to the beach because my tan is permanent. I, I like to play around and say those types of things to let people know, hey guys, I know I have a little bit more melanin than you do, if that's the case, but so what? It doesn't really matter. Yeah. And, and, and I think, um, if it's okay with you, I think the person who has done so much work in this area for so long is Jane Elliott. And of course she was controversial because she, she was educating us. And she essentially says, basically, as we all know, bigotry or racism is taught. It's taught. And, and, and literally just two days ago, my son reached out to me. He says, Dad, uh, this was, of course, via text because they don't communicate by phone. <laughs> of course so, not. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, Dad, do you remember that time you had us watching that movie and, and it had the KKK in it? And I was like, yeah, I, I do. And, I, I, and this was my youngest son. And I said, Jordan, I said, you know, if I had to do that over again, I don't know if, if I would have had you all watch that at the ages you were. So of course, he's the youngest. Um, there's a four, four and a half year difference between him and my oldest. So my children are 30, 28, and 24. And they were young when they watched it. And, and unfortunately, the reason why I had to watch, I had to have them watch something like that at that age is because my daughter came home from school in third grade, third grade. So that's what, nine years old? Mm -hmm. And says to us, says to us, this is, here's what this boy said to me. And it, it made her feel sad. So she's super empathetic, like big heart, just super empathetic. You wouldn't know she was in your classroom because she's so quiet. And, and we had to deal with that. So that's why, I, you know, I said to Jordan, I said, you know, I don't know if I would do that now, but I was trying to do the best I could at the time so that you could be prepared moving forward. And he went on to say via text that you, you did a good job in preparing us. And um, I, I, I think Jane Elliott has it right. Well, oh, tell me more about Jane Elliott and the parts that really resonated with you. 
Well, essentially, so, so Jane Elliott basically said, and, 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 and actually I have not, I've done a little bit of studying in this. I haven't done, I'm not going to be able to tell anyone and I, and I'm happy to go and do this at some point. I've just been bombarded with just reaching out to people, checking in with people. People have been checking in with me and that's why I'm so hopeful. You were one of those individuals and I was like, Pam, thank you. Cause last week was tough. I mean, there were a couple of days. It wasn't that, it wasn't that I was so, um, like I was distraught. I mean, of course I had my emotions that were going up and down, so to speak, but I was so hopeful because of individuals like you who reached out and says, hey, are you okay? What's going on? Talk to me. And, and I did. And so many people have done that um, from the profession, you know, the educators to, to others who I've encountered in my life. So that's why I am hopeful. And, and I got to tell you, just literally this morning, one of my friends sent me a clip of what happened in Miami with the police officers who took a knee and yeah. essentially apologized. You know, at the time, I definitely had tears in my eyes. I needed the tears because my allergies were driving me crazy. So I needed to flush my eyes, but I was crying. And because that gives me hope and I, that's how I feel. And that's my approach to all of this. So mm -hmm. going back to Jane Elliott, the construct of race, it's a construct. It's a total construct. And, and no one is better than anyone based on their race. Yes. Matter of that's fact. What, that's yeah. what God says. Yes. That's what God says. So when God says that, then why are we continuing to label ourselves? And, no, it, and, it, and you know, it's interesting. And I, you know, like just to use now, most people, they may not know this or not, but, you know, I'm a former athlete, made it to the highest level, the, the not for long, the NFL which basically means I was a, a high-end athlete and had certain skills and that served me well. But then also, it also allowed me to walk into, I didn't have to wait in line to go to places. You know, that's privilege. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, I've had a really interesting life. I've seen privilege. I've also seen the opposite where people treated me because of the color of my skin, but it's, it's, been, it's been interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a couple things that you've said there. Like, I did not have to raise my children to be aware that they will be treated differently because of the color of their skin. Right. I, I never had to do that. I have daughters and I had them be careful about other things, uh, molestation, things like that, but never, uh, but those would not be something that would generally happen when they were driving their car or, you know, walking down a sidewalk uh, in, a, in a neighborhood. Um, I saw a, a post that was heartbreaking of this man saying that he can't walk out of his house without his little girls, one of his, you know, daughters holding his hands and or with his fluffy dog. And it was, I think it went viral and it was like, oh my gosh. And I think that, um, I think that's great. I think positivity is great. On the other hand, you know, the suffering and the pain is also valid. I mean, there is, uh, there is so much pain that has been shoved down for so long. And I know um, I have been heartened by the posts and the, and the awareness, even with me, just looking at, uh, okay, what am I doing? What am I doing to look at this and do something about it? Am I uh, really consciously deciding, and I've made some, this decision with some of these things to support black owned banks, 
to support uh, companies that are producing products where they're trying to rise out. And because there is this, um, uh, this long time uh, keeping down, and you described it to me the other day when you were talking about a professor, and maybe you could share it right now, about yeah. how hard it is to catch up. Yes. And, uh, yes. and then maybe we can talk about the framework of the education system, which is outmoded for everybody, but especially has left so many people behind. So why don't you share a little bit about what you were saying? Yeah, so I was uh, fortunate to, um, to listen to a panelist of individuals who come from various backgrounds. They were all men who had the same melanin as I do. And uh, I think there were six, four of them have PhDs. Uh, one of the gentlemen is uh, at the University of Missouri, and he described a game that he plays with his students that he has them participate in, and it's Monopoly. Most of us have played Monopoly for, before. So imagine, and what, here's what he does. He has the game start. Not everyone starts at the same time. So the game is started, and then he might add two more players. Game goes on. He adds two more players, he, he, and then he'll add some additional players. By the time those last players arrive to the game and start playing, they're so frustrated because they're like, how can I have an opportunity? I mean, and that, that's a big word. How can I have an opportunity to even remotely be successful when all of the opportunities are gone or they're so difficult? And I thought that was a really, so from an educational standpoint, to teach college students that, I thought that was a great, that's a, it's a really great way to, to teach. Yeah. Because I think that's what Jane Elliott basically said is that if you can learn to become a bigot or prejudice or racist, and all of us have our isms, then you yes. can unlearn it. And um, I'm sure most people have heard of this. They've seen this before. There are a lot of um, teachers, they've done this, where you have a, a, a group of students, there could be a hundred of them. They all start off on this line and they're gonna race a hundred yards say. And the, the teacher is in front of them and he'll ask a series of questions. And based on their answer, they get to move. So they get to move ahead. And you look at the field and where people are and you're like, now the race starts. And there's, there's a person like five yards away from the finish line. So that person, unbeknownst to them, they haven't done anything to earn any of that, is that much further ahead of anyone that's at the starting line, so to speak. Well, I mean, and also when you think that property taxes are the basis of many school systems, in yes. many school districts, matter of fact, most. And when you look at the inequities of the amount of money based on the value of properties that could be a street away and what that means. So this goes back to what is our responsibility? And this is, uh, I love the uh, Maasai warriors uh, when they go and greet each other in the villages. The first thing they say is, how, how are the children? And the, the response is, the children are well. And because that means that the society is well and our children are not well so that's why all of us regardless of skin color regardless of economic status regardless of have to contribute to make sure all children are well because it is the definition of the wellness of our society 
and we have these frameworks that like the education system itself that do not allow for opportunity when you have uh, under resourced schools to start with boom there you go uh, when you have the measuring of uh, test scores based on who can afford to get the prep for that test, yeah. right? When you have uh, all of these extracurriculars that colleges are demanding that cannot be afforded equally as people have to work in their communities and all of that, uh, take care of siblings, be latchkey kids because their parents are working three jobs and they can't get home, uh, single parents that can't sit there and do homework, which is ridiculous to begin with, but sit there and, and do it. You, you can't catch up. How do you catch up? You know. And I think that when we talk about 21st century, the fantastic news is that new uh, opportunities and methods are emerging that aren't going to require that they follow this same stuck framework right. that they all have to be defined the same way, measured the same way to have the same opportunity. That just blew apart and it creates a lot of opportunity for all of us to get involved in creating equity for all kids. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. I mean, it's 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 very interesting how this pandemic put a spotlight on the inequities of the system. It just it, it, in, es in essence, to me, what it did was it put a spotlight on things that weren't very, working very well already. <laughs> and yeah. um, and but what's sad though is instead of a shift taking place immediately, some of those systems are still trying to be carried out because. Like you said, some parents are home. Some parents aren't home. Some parents are out there trying to figure out how to make this work for mm -hmm. their family. Mm -hmm. Some parents, even though they may be home, may only have one device for three children. And that parent may have to use that same device. So you're like, okay, I'm trying to make this work. And yet, how can I make this work? Then of course there have been some school systems, no doubt that that recognize that, and you know they sent out buses with Wi-Fi connectivity and um, put out Chromebooks and things like that. But the stress that it has caused, yeah, it's terrible. It's yeah. terrible. But but also the that my kid has to fit in, as opposed to being the part that's most exciting for me. And there is some fat. I mean, big picture yeah. learning. I mean, some of these organizations that are in there empowering opportunities, starting with the student as a human being, starting with yeah. their value and worthiness just because. Now, let's create the opportunity for them to grow as they are and follow wherever they might go. Right. I mean, what happens if they're interested in blockchain? You don't have to go to college. If you're interested in blockchain, you've got a career. If you're interested in cybersecurity, you've got a career. If you're interested in electrical and mechanical and everything, you've got a career and you're paid to learn. You know, not to say, I mean, I'm not anti-college, I'm anti-college for all, and I'm anti the current income. I'm saying start with the student right. and how do we create those kinds of opportunities? And we're, we're figuring out the infrastructure right now. Guess well, what? You, That's what we're doing. Well, you know, it's interesting, Pam, like what you just said. So imagine a middle school, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, 1,200 students at a middle school. That's enormous. Now, it just happens to be in an area that's socioeconomically at the higher level. 
Mm-hmm. And so I'm talking to a guidance counselor and I said, hey, what's the number one problem that you all are having? She said, anxiety, anxiety. Yeah. And, and not only, so what they have had to do is figure out um, how many, I mean, so there's two guidance counselors per grade. That's not enough. How can, that, how can the student be the student, how can that be student learner centered? You don't have enough people to address figuring out who that student is or helping that student figure out who they are. Well, I mean, there's a school called Design 39 in Poway. And it has, I think, 150 students for five to six, you know, mentor people. It's driven by the students, by their pathway. So we have this model that somehow we have to continue to shape. But that is the dehumanizing model. Well, is the opposite of meaning. We all need meaning to live and meaning is specific and unique to the individual. So how do we create environments that allow them to discover, allow them to explore versus we have to shape them, mold them, frame them in our image of what we say they're going to be to be successful. And guess what? We mess that up big time, big time. Okay, we not only missed an entire era shift into yeah. new opportunities, we also created a huge epidemic of me- mental illness, which best, guess what? This has been around since the beginning of industrialization, schools, industrialized school systems. Since the beginning, Viktor Frankl was dealing with this in 1928 with an epidemic of suicides around the time of report cards. What? because kids were so focused on their performance, so focused on how they were judged that they could not see anything else except that they didn't measure up and they thought life was worthless. How sad is that? And, and, and when you think about that and the, the example you shared, and that's basically what this protest is about, this listening, acknowledging that, that I have value and that I, I exist. Mm-hmm. it's clear you have value. So I, I you know, just, just going to use myself as an example. And I think back and I went to schools that were, um, especially <clears throat> my elementary school experience was, was awesome. I was at a school, I lived in an area um, in the Annapolis area, Annapolis, Maryland. If you saw my fifth grade elementary school picture, you're like, cool, look at this. It had everything. <laughs> I didn't know. And you know, the funny thing is, is like, you don't know what color you are because that's, that wasn't the focus. I mean, it wasn't any of that for me. That was my experience. Now, when I moved, whoa, that's when all of a sudden I'm starting to find out about some different things, some different words. And, and I think my parents did such a great job because even though like my dad experienced some serious racism at work, um, he didn't waver on how he taught me and my sister. So I thank him for that. I think both my mom and dad, um, I didn't feel inferior or superior. If anything, like in, in this, I'm not jokingly saying this, but being an athlete sometimes and, and, and being really, really, really good at something, you know, I, was, I, I made sure I didn't get a big head. So if anything, I was like, I, let, let me not think that I'm better than someone because I can do X, Y, or Z. And I also, you know, thank, I thank God for my intellectual capacity as well. My teachers did a good job of making sure they kept that in check, so to speak. I stayed curious because I love people and I love working with people. And that's the beauty 
to me about playing a team sport, you realize you cannot be successful by yourself. You need a coach. You need a mentor. You need others around you, your teammates, to understand the role and to help you and to practice and do all those things. So it was just phenomenal. It was just awesome. Well, I think that that goes to exactly what you're saying, only it requires all of us. I yes. mean, women did not get the right to vote unless men in Congress gave them the right to vote. Civil rights did not happen for uh, people of color unless the white Congress at the time passed the legislation that allowed civil rights to happen. So this is why it's so fun with you and I, because we need to be together to solve this together because it affects all of us because it is what you know if our environment is unhealthy in one area every area is unhealthy so i think that's what's so exciting to me about the possibilities of just you know really what can we do together how can i mentor how can you mentor you know what resources can we pull how do we be but quite frankly when i was growing up uh we just wasn't aware of it. I, I grew up in a suburban white, just like you were saying. You're, you know, when you you're, you you don't see anything different. It was uh, a very uh, school didn't play a big role. Uh, we were in a suburban area, and it wasn't until I I grew up uh, and went to college, and then began to get into the work world, and then began to whatever that I even had a radar for half of this stuff, and and then again growing. Uh, and learning and becoming more aware. I mean, it's an evolutionary process of learning and being exposed to it and beginning to look at, at someone differently in terms of, um, oh, wait a minute, it is an equal opportunity system. It's not. And, and now what's my responsibility to help make it an equal opportunity situation? So let me, let me just make sure the audience, for all you audience members, here's what I mean by it's not that I didn't see that there were different colors. I saw that, but I didn't see it as that person was better. They didn't see me as less, or I didn't see myself as better or so on and so forth. So let's just make sure that's clear because some of the things that I'm hearing people say, I don't necessarily agree with in regards to um, when people say, here's what white people can do. I don't, I, I'm not a big fan of that. I don't, I don't look at it as that because it's a communication issue. It's a, it's a human heart issue. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I look at it from a spiritual standpoint that God is the one who created us mm -hmm. and we have different talents and different skills. So, you know, there's a verse from a book that's basically says um, we're all created differently so that we can learn from one another. I mean, it's so true. And actually, Duncan Wardle, the, the former uh, Disney executive who says, you know, diversity is innovation. If we're all thinking the same thing, there's no innovation. Yeah, yeah. Imagine. So, you know, so it's so interesting, like when you use the example about Congress and, 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 and suffrage for women, I'm like, imagine if there were a woman in Congress, um, a few of them, and they were like, okay, you know what, we need more women to be able to vote. Like it didn't think that those individuals who were there, they didn't think of that because they didn't yes. have anyone there to, to, to yes. present that information. Yes. And, and I love, there's an article that talks about networking and they talk about it from the standpoint of truly networking within the computer science arena. And if you have a closed network, 
that basically means you're only getting information from that own echo, that own echo chamber. So when you open up your network, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, wow, Pam, you're on the West Coast. You had a different experience. You're able to share something that I didn't experience being from the East Coast or from another region of the country. All of a sudden, I get opened up and exposed to different things. But we That's right. For our kids in education, it's silos. We're raising yeah. them in silos where they only see same age kids. They only are in that very stuck environment. That's why we got to break down these school walls and make education everywhere. Real world learning, exposure to businesses, responsibility on the part of businesses in their communities to create the opportunities for all kids in their communities to get exposed to real world learning and solving problems. You, you know, it's interesting. I think back to my elementary school experience and, and I remember literally, I don't know how large the class was, but I do know I was either in first or second grade and I understood the concepts and you know what I would do? And all the other students who understood the concepts, we would go and work with the other students who didn't understand it as well as we did. And because of that, we, because if you can teach something, you learn yes. it better. Yes. So peer to peer education is so important. I mean, it happens at the sports levels. It happens, you know, when we were allowed to have that in a classroom. Now, I, I, I clearly, because I knew it better, didn't, I didn't think I was any better than anyone else. If anything, I wanted to help the other students. So what, what, I was, what was I learning? I was learning empathy. Mm -hmm. I was learning that there are other people at different levels. Mm -hmm. It didn't mean anything other than they weren't there yet, mm -hmm. but I needed to help them get there. Well, how do you think education took place except in the past little hundred years? Okay, not everybody was stuck into this machine to, uh, based on their age, to decide this is how you quote unquote learn. Uh, I remember I had this conversation with, on uh, Twitter with this pr principal and he's like, well, how else are they gonna learn to read and write? I'm like, how do you think they did for hundreds of years? You know, older siblings taught, grandmas taught, communities taught. And guess what? In many cases, many were more, more literate than we are today. They read more. They wanted to read to be up on the events. So, um, so I wanted yeah, go ahead. You know, I was going to say, and that's an interesting concept. And just to throw this out there, because racism is one of the topics we're talking about today, there are individuals within the community, um, especially barbershops, especially in the community in which I belong, which one of the communities in which I belong, that's where we have our conversations. And yes. I've heard individuals say, you know, back prior to segregation, education was at a super high premium. And, and because of that, and because the neighborhoods were segregated, individuals, the teacher lived in the community and the teacher knew the parent. Mm -hmm. So if something happened in that classroom that wasn't supposed to happen, the mom or dad knew about it. But even before the mom and dad knew about it, that teacher was able to take care of it and solve that problem before, beforehand. So I'm not saying, basically what I'm saying is communication is super important. The, 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 the community was involved and that's what we're advocating here. We are. I'm not saying to outsource the education to the teachers. Teaching is really challenging. We need everyone involved. The parents need to be involved. Yes. And, and they're marginalized. I always felt like that, especially 
when I went to the, a very, uh, my kids went to a, a more elite private school. I mean, talk about being marginalized. They're like, we're taking your kid, that we're you know, presenting them with all the ideals that we believe they should have, and you just go sell brownies. That's your job. You're the <laughs> fundraisers. And it, it was appalling, you know, and they don't want to hear anything from a dif differing point. But the thing is, is that they can't honor the kids. I didn't want my kids molded into a certain form or shape. Right. I had different values. Their grade point average was not important to me. I didn't care if they had a 4.0. I cared whether they volunteered in the community. I cared whether they were good people. I cared that they had a sense of responsibility, but I didn't care that they spent all their time on homework because that took away from what was happening uh, in our family and our values. Yeah. So I think that this idea that we've turned over responsibility to institutionalized systems that are eating our children alive, literally, because they can't quite fit in. You know, learning, just like you're talking about, it requires, and this, this also goes to racism, it requires interest, relationship, and safety. Safety, safety. not only safety, physical safety, but emotional safety that you belong, that you're valued, that you're worthy. And guess what? That takes learning right out of the equation for so many. Yeah, it really does. So, I mean, and that's, that's the, that's the question really of the, of the 21st century is especially in what we're dealing with now. And this is obviously new for all of us. Um, I actually, I, and here's what I mean by that, the pandemic piece, that's the new piece. I mean, that has thrown a curveball to everything and, and coming out of this, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, we still don't really know what's going to happen in the fall. Um, that's yet to be, um that's still being deliberated so to speak but but what's really clear though is how will we as parents or educators or administrators um, move forward mm -hmm. with with some of the nuances of what's actually happened during this pandemic mm -hmm. um i know we've talked about this before in previous episodes being on a zoom is hard now with just the two of us i can see your nonverbal cues and this, that, and the other. But imagine if it's that Brady Bunch screen, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to figure out and engage with everything. It's just, it's so much. And yet, and yet some school systems have had their e-learning modules be five or six hours of that. Oh, unbelievable. <laughs> oh my gosh. It, it's, I, feel, I feel terrible. But, you know, the, the, the kids, because it, plus it's like absorbing of content as if that's learning. No, learning is interactive. Learning is, is engagement. It's not engaged learning. It's basically regurgitate, taking in information, regurgitating out. I do want to say that Viktor Frankl called for monoanthropism, which is the awareness of one mankind, a unity of mankind, which goes beyond all different colors, be it colors of the skin, or colors of various political parties. So this one mankind, I think, have you seen that video? It's called The Great Realization, where this dad is reading to his uh, yes. children, which it's so cute. Yeah. But I am hopeful that perhaps this is an awakening and an awareness of the fact that we are one mankind. Uh, we found out that turning it over to institutional systems couldn't be there in that minute 
that it's not preparing our kids for the agility they need to operate in the 21st century, and that the health and well-being of any one child reflects the health and well-being of our entire society, which is why we have the responsibility to, uh, to create the environments that allow every child to flourish. Yeah, I, I love the fact that you shared the quote of the Maasai. That, that was awesome. And, and humankind, mm -hmm. we're cheering you on. We're going to do our part. So thank you, everyone, for joining us in this particular segment where we're talking specifically about racism, education, and opportunity in the 21st century. So you're here with Ziz and Pam. Please, if you have any questions, if you don't agree, if you disagree, it, please let us know. Uh, feel free to share your comments with us. So thank, thank you for joining us.